Welcome to the Modern Institute podcast, commentary on theological and cultural issues past and present from the perspective of two millennials that have nothing better to do. My name is Alex Fisher. My name is Isaac Reff. So today we want to talk about books that have been influential on our lives. But before we get to that, let's talk about our journey with reading. Isaac, how did you get into reading? I didn't like reading when I was really, really young. And it wasn't until the first grade um, with the introduction of something called AR Points that really gave me an incentive to read. And then I was just reading because it was a competition and I wanted to be the best. And that was fine for most of first grade. And then towards the end, I discovered... Are AR Points like a competition? Yes, yes. You get you get points for like every book you read. And the more difficult the book is, like the more points you get. And kids get prizes for like how many points they have. What was the most difficult book on the list? I don't remember. It depends on the grade you're in. Um, okay. But for in first grade, I was reading Lemony Snicket's Series of Unfortunate Events. And that's what got me hooked on reading. And then in third grade, there was a book club for people that were interested. And I, start, I was reading... Um, J.R.R. Tolkien's um, The Fellowship of the Ring. and In third grade? In third grade. It was really boring for an eight-year-old. And Orson Scott Card's um, Ender's Game, which was really good, and Hatchet. That's and a good book. I've read that. Hatchet? Yeah. It was, it was a phenomenal book. Good Where book. he, like, crashes and, like, has yes. to survive. Yes, and he's, like, 13. Yeah. Yeah. It with was the hatchet. With the hatchet, hence the name. <laughs> Thanks for the commentary, Alex. Um, and so I mostly just read fiction all the way through... Uh, elementary school and middle school, that sort of tapered off in high school. And then when I got to college, I sort of picked up my reading again in my sophomore year, but this time with a decidedly theological bit. Okay. So that's sort of my journey into reading. Uh, how did you get into it? Well, I was homeschooled. I started nice. being homeschooled in third grade. My mom was really into reading, and there was this lady named Carol Joyside. Do you know Carol Joyside? I don't know Carol Joyside. <laughs> okay. So she was this like homeschool mom extraordinaire that every homeschool mom I knew wanted to copy. And so she had this pink sheet of every book that she thought it took to become a good human being to read. <laughs> How many books were on the list? Too many. <laughs> and a few of them were good. <laughs> well, give me the highlights. Um, well, I can't remember any of them on there, if that tells you anything. <laughs> so they weren't that But good. anyway, so my mom would make us read those books because she thought it would like improve our... I don't know. Your development. Yes. And so we had to read all those. And I think I read almost every single one on the list. Um, but they made no impact on me. Whatsoever. <laughs> Whatsoever. <laughs> but as I got into high school, my mom started making me read other books. Stuff like um, like Out of the Depths or um, just other books on like church history and stuff. For, okay. um, for I guess my history portion of my schooling. Mm -hmm. And so I read books about like Martin Luther and all kinds of stuff. And that is when I kind of started to develop an enjoyment of reading. Mm -hmm. And so I started picking up other books on the side. It was around this time, like, I started feeling a call to ministry. And so I read, like, The Conviction to Lead by Albert Moeller and Good really book. enjoyed it. Just, like, just books kind of like that that I saw people were reading, and I figured I would pick up and give it a shot and, and read it. So that's kind of how I developed. When I got to college, I, I was an English major, and so most of the stuff I read was just stuff that I was assigned to in class because of how much reading there was. Um, but books I kind of read on the side were just stuff I thought was interesting. Um, mostly books about pastoral ministry and life in the church and stuff. And then now that I'm in seminary, all I read is whatever my professors assign. So nothing's changed in the past five years. Nothing has changed. I just read what people <laughs> tell me to. <laughs> I don't choose what I read. So anyways, but books have been really influential on us. Um, obviously, we're, we're both big readers and we enjoy it. And so what are you reading right now? 
I actually, I just finished um, 1984, which was a, a roller coaster of emotions. Um, and I, I sort of got into the literary theme of negative utopias um, while listening to the briefing from Albert Moeller, where he was talking about um, Huxley's Brave New World in comparison with 1984. And I never read either of them, so I picked both of them up and I'm tearing through those right now. And then I'm also, on a much more serious side, working through... Because that's not serious. No, no, it's very lighthearted. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, I'm working through John Owen's uh, seven-volume exposition of Hebrews, which has been... No big deal. Which has been a blast. <laughs> and it takes me forever to read, but it's been so fun. I'm on the second one. Okay. Yeah, what are you reading? Um, the Bible. Wow. For one. Thanks. Uh, I'm reading uh, Christ Center Preaching by Brian Chapel for a class. Um, Very good book, just kind of about preaching. What have you learned in it? Um, Well, one of the big things he talks about in there is the fallen condition focus, um, which is this idea of you looking at a passage and it showing um, the reader um, kind of where we have fallen short as people. Okay. And so, for instance, like last night, I preached on holiness Mm -hmm. and consecration and the fallen condition focus within that would have been we cannot attain the level of holiness that God has called us to um, on our own. Gotcha. And so it highlights our brokenness and sinful state. Um, and so that's kind of a brief explanation of what the fallen condition Which is important is. in preaching. It is, because you can't just focus on... Like, I mean, if you, if you don't explain how Christ plays a part in your sanctification and how ultimately is the spirit sanctifying you. It puts right. a weight on the hearers that they can't bear. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's what some, a huge part of that book is the fallen condition cool. focus. Um, other stuff I'm reading. Uh, there's a book called uh, the preacher's catechism that I'm reading for that class. It's exactly what it sounds like. The chapters are three pages long and it asks a question and answers it. And so it's pretty interesting. And then I'm also reading lectures to my students um, for that Spurgeon. class as well. Yeah. For Spurgeon. Um, very good. And then a New Testament, um, there's a textbook that the name of it slips my mind right now, but it's about the New Testament. It's kind of a survey book. It's long and it's big. That's all I know. <laughs> is it interesting? It or is interesting. It kind of just like these survey books. And like, you'll see this when you like get to like New Testament, and Old Testament stuff is they just take a book of the Bible and they're like, here's the purpose. Here's an outline of it. Here's like the information you need to know to be able to understand the book. And so it's kind okay, of, so it literally is a survey. It's literally just a survey. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm reading that's right cool. now. So just whatever my professors tell me, uh, they own me right now. That's so. fair. That's fair. <laughs> Before we get into the uh, five most influential books in our lives, I wanted to ask you, why do you like to read? Or do you like reading? Yes and no. Okay. Um, I do like to read. Um, but reading is still a discipline for me. Yeah. Like I very rarely will read just for the heck of it. Um so, like, it, it takes a discipline for me to read still. I would rather, like, my own laziness would rather just do something that doesn't require any intellectual, sure. like, exertion at all. I mean, it takes focus and attention to, right. inter- to interact with the text. And so, like, you know, working at the church and stuff, I read all the time. And so coming home and wanting to read more takes discipline. It sure does. And so I do enjoy it, and I like it, but it's, like, if I'm wanting to relax, I don't grab a book first. Yeah. So, and that's probably not a good thing because there's a lot of books out there that are, are not a seventh volume exposition of Hebrews I can pick that's up true. and read for fun. And that is a like blessing. I can read something lighthearted like 1984, <laughs> right? <laughs> On a much less serious note, or like you know, for instance, like you know, I'm a huge fan of Jocko Willink. 
And yeah. so Bria got me his new book, Leadership and Tactics, okay. um, which is like super relaxing, super relaxing, <laughs> but it's something I enjoy. And right. like I could sit down and read that instead of watching like Netflix or something. And that would probably be a more beneficial thing. But I mean, to answer your question, I do enjoy it. But it's like it just it is a discipline. discipline. It's a discipline. What too. about you? Do you enjoy reading? Reading is a blast. Um, and I think there was a period in between the end of middle school and sort of the later end of high school where I didn't read a whole lot. Mm -hmm. And now that I've gotten back into it, I've forgotten how engrossing a book can be in a way that surpasses uh, even good movies, good film, for me, good music or an enjoyable video game. A words in the hands of a good author are incredibly potent. And I it's just a pleasure to be gripped by a book. So I do, I do love to read. And then I also read because I don't think there's a better way to gain new information mm -hmm. and new knowledge. And obviously like any way you learn something, you have to discipline yourself to do it. Cause I don't always want to read John Owen's exposition of Hebrews. I mean, it was written in the 1600s and the updated version was written in the 1800s. So it's dense, but it is immensely rewarding. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like, and this is a really good segue into the, what we're talking about because reading is super rewarding mm -hmm. and like books that have been influential on me I still think about often and I don't really think about a Netflix show that I right. enjoyed often like I might have really enjoyed it maybe even at the time as much if not more than the book but it the impact it had on yeah, me is, is minuscule compared yeah. to like The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozier or something like that and so I think reading is super rewarding and a good discipline for every Christian to have not that every Christian is going to read a, lot. a ton but yeah. even just to sit down with a really good christian really book good. and even just take a few pages a day is really rewarding for us so what are what would you say is the first book on your list that's been influential for you and are, are these in like numerical order like number one most influential or just five books you thought have been influential they are not in numerical order they are what i consider most likely to be the five most influential books in my life um, but i didn't rank them in any other than they're the top five. Um, the first one on my list is actually not a Christian book. Um, it's a fiction book. And I read it you when I was... Pagan. I know. <laughs> I read it when I was eight, when I actually was a pagan. Um, and it, it's called Aragon. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever read that? No. No, okay. Well, it was Aragon. It's does about... Does it have dragons? It does have dragons. So oh, that's sorcery. Yeah. Uh, it's too close yeah, to I, know, I, I know. read it's that as a kid. Close. It's too close to Harry Potter. <laughs> Well, my mom didn't know that. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to read it. Um, but it was basically the, the plot, for those of you not familiar with it, is uh, a young boy finds a dragon egg. It hatches. He becomes a dragon rider. And there's like wars and fantasy and magic and stuff like that. And it was really mature for an eight-year-old to be reading, which is probably, I don't know, it felt like. I shouldn't be reading this, which just made me want to read it more. Oh it was like, I knew it was PG-13, <laughs> and I was not a 13-year-old. Um, and so you felt cool because and so of I that. felt cool because I was so, reading about so dragons. Lame. That's yeah. so lame. <laughs> um, But what it did was it gave me a love for reading. I didn't realize how, how pleasurable a good book could be until I read that book. Um, so that's probably the first one, which is kind of a weird pick because it's a not very important work of fiction. But it showed me, it opened up a new world for me. Mm -hmm. It really did. Yeah. Um, I think 
the first I'll, the one I'll say first, keep it on the paganistic side, okay. would be uh, The Things They Carry by Tim O'Brien. Good we both read that book, book in college. Sure um, with, a, what's his name? O'Rourke. O'Rourke. Yeah, Professor. The man. He was cool. The man. So anyways, um, yeah, it's just a book about, I mean, you know, it's like really just kind of tells a bunch of short stories about the Vietnam War. And I've always kind of liked history, but I like most, you don't learn about the Vietnam War very much. No. And so that kind of opened up my eyes to like the rich history that happened during the Vietnam War era. And so it really kind of piqued my interest. And it's an interest that still continues today to where I'm, I mean, really just engrossed in like what happened during that time period. That's true. And so um, it was really influential in that way for me. But also it made me kind of really enjoy books for the first time in a long time at that point that weren't explicitly Christian books. They were yeah. secular books. And I kind of discounted secular reading up to that point. And so that kind of opened my eyes to the world of what was out there that There's could a lot be beneficial. There. There's yeah. a lot out there. Not that all of it's good. I'm not saying no. all secular books are good, obviously. but um, not all Christian books are good. That's true. <laughs> At Joel Epstein. <laughs> I said not all Christian books are good. <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah, so that was I definitely probably one that influenced me a lot in college. Explain the title because... Oh, yeah. The title, that's actually really cool. It is. So um, if I remember correctly, in the very first chapter, he the whole chapter just spent, spent explaining um, what each of these guys in this platoon carried as part of their yes. equipment. Yeah. And so, you know, some carried like a heavy machine gun. Some carried like, you know, these really heavy rucksacks. I mean, all these different things. But what it's all representative of is the horrors of war that they were all carrying with them. And so the rest of the book kind of goes into this idea of these guys are not just carrying equipment. They're carrying the friends they've lost. They're carrying the terrible things they've seen. Um, It really is a title that kind of spans the whole length Mm -hmm. of the book that war is not something that just happens to these guys while they're there, but it's something that they carry with them after they come home. Um, And so, you know, I've even heard that, you know, Tim O'Brien, these are stories that he kind of felt like he experienced from the Vietnam War. And so he's writing it. Not really, obviously, it's not an autobiography of his time over there, but it's kind of representative of of what he saw after the war um, yeah. with guys he went to Vietnam with. And so, very interesting. Really enjoy. It was a really book. it was a really engaging read. It moved from being the material physical burdens that they were carrying to the mental and emotional yeah. load that was on them during the war and after the war. The things that they carried. And some of the stories in there. I mean, they're just. Awesome they're, to read, they but are. also so just, I mean, emotionally rich. They're just very how much it hurt mm-hmm. um, those guys and even the people that were over there. Just the stuff they experienced was crazy. Um, but yeah, so I, the rest of mine are Christian books. <laughs> so, so are mine. Okay, all right. So what's the second one for you? Uh, the second one is Spurgeon's Lectures to My Students, which you've already referenced earlier in the podcast. You actually bought this for me. Do you remember this? That's right. That was you for did. Your birthday. You did. It was That's three right. years ago. It was for my 20th birthday. You and some friends pitched in and you bought me the Bible I still use, a NASB, MacArthur's Commentary on the Bible, and Spurgeon's Lectures to My Students. And the for someone considering the call to ministry or engaged in ministry, it's invaluable. The first few chapters alone cover the minister's self-watch, how important it is for a minister of the gospel to keep watch over his own heart. And it doesn't matter how much you stock your library or spend reading or journaling or preparing. If you neglect the cultivation of your inner man, if you neglect your soul and going to Christ daily and spending time with him, it doesn't matter how skilled or gifted a speaker or writer you are. Uh, It covers the call to ministry, private prayer, public prayer, sermons, how to preach, um, 
the necess- like how to use your voice, how to command an audience. Uh, it even talks about like a period of depression in Spurgeon's life and how going through times of depression isn't uncommon mm-hmm. for especially for ministers, essentially because they have a greater target on their back from the enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I think too, just the weight of doing ministry of doing to ministry people is like exhausting. You're so close to people's brokenness um, that it can be really easy to get sucked into that darkness with them if you're not grounded you're not in um, just the promises of what God has told us in his word. And so one thing I really got from that book, um, or am getting because I'm still currently reading it, is at the beginning when he's like, how can you lead your people down a path you yourself have not gone down? Yep. And he, the kind of the larger part of that is, is about your own conversion, but also your own piety as a person. Like how much are you actually pursuing God? Because if you're not, how can you lead people to pursue God if you don't even know him yourself? Um, and so it's excellent, excellent read. Let me see if I can find a good quote from it. Just to give you, here we go. This is the first page of the book. It will be in vain for me to stock my library or organize societies or project schemes if I neglect the culture of myself. For books and agencies and systems are only remotely the instruments of my holy calling. My own spirit, soul, and body are my nearest machinery for sacred service. My spiritual faculties and my inner life are my battle axe and weapons of war. Legit. Very, very influential stuff. That's good. All right, my next one um, is The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozier. A classic. A classic. It's one of my favorites, and it's a really good book to, to give to people because it's a relatively easy read. It's short, and you can read it in just a few sittings, and so it's a good book. How, because I, I've read some of the book, but I yeah. haven't finished it. Um, how has that idea, The Pursuit of God, like changed your life when did you first come into contact with the idea and how has it matured well specifically the book or just in general in general oh in in general general. yeah um well i'd say the first time i remember thinking that the christian life necessitates an active pursuit of god was when i first entered the youth group like you know bruce um yes and so so in high school and uh middle school in middle school yeah so our youth group was sixth through twelfth grade and so for the first time like after our first wednesday night he had talked about the importance of spiritual disciplines mm-hmm. and pursuing God. And like my parents are really mature believers and I really think they did family discipleship really well, but it was always done in like a family context. Right. And so I didn't really have personal, I would say like, I didn't really know what the personal spiritual disciplines were. I mean, I was like 11 or 12 right. at the time. And so it is a new idea to me. And so my act, my, my response to it was I went out and bought a teen devotional 365 <laughs> days and it lasted a whole like three or four days. <laughs> um, but that was like the first time I had kind of come in contact with that idea. And it was something that I just like, I mean, just under the discipleship of Bruce, like learned yeah. a lot about through high school. Yeah. Um, but then when I got to college is when I read the pursuit of God. Okay. Um, and the thing that I get the most from that book is just seeing A.W. Tozer's heart to actually know God. To not just know things about him, to not just know facts, but to know him intimately and to yeah. know him personally. Um, and so just the the way he approaches pursuing God is so serious mm-hmm. and so passionate that he you can tell in the book, this is a man who wants to know who the Lord is and wants to serve him. I've heard, I don't know if this is true, but I've heard this from a couple different places that A.W. Tozier actually wrote the whole book while he was on his knees. I've heard that too. And so I don't know if that's true. Like that's kind of like a rumor, you know, but Even if it's... Hyperbolic. It doesn't matter. It still shows, yeah. like, and so, like how intensely he wanted to pursue God, and so that book kind of it, it's made me do a lot of kind of 
introspection, you could yeah. say, to just kind of think, okay, I do spiritual disciplines, but am I really pursuing God with my life? Like, is every area of difference. my life pursuing God? Or am I just, yeah. like, checking the box by reading my Bible yeah. each day? So there is a stark difference. One for is sure. done for just intellectual gain, and the other is done because I want to see God really change my life. Or not even intellectual gain. It could be to pacify your conscience. Mm-hmm. You think you're supposed to do it, and so you do it so you don't you know, feel that guilt and remorse about yeah. not spending time in the Word or time with Him. Yeah. But One thing I love in the pursuit of God, and this is not necessarily about the pursuit of God, but there's a portion in the book where he talks about things about God that we just won't understand. Okay. Um, and so, you know, there's, I mean, the Trinity, for instance, yeah. is such a complex <laughs> doctrine. It's yeah. true. And, you know, one guy said, you know, if you don't try to understand, or if you try to under the, understand the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. And if you don't try to understand the Trinity, you'll lose your soul. And so we have to try to understand those things, but it's so complex, it can give us a headache because of how be. complex it is. And so what A.W. Tozer says is with those kinds of things, the best thing to do is just say, you know, this is a really rough paraphrase, but it's like, just throw your hands up and say, you know, God, you're God, and I'm going to praise you. And there's things about you I don't understand, but you're worthy of our praise. And so we're going to worship you. And so that's the pursuit of God is really just kind of help me learn how passionately we need to pursue the Lord um, in every area of our life. So we've got to get moving. Yeah, we're talking too much. We're talking too uh, much. Is All it right. my go or is it your go? It's your go for number three. Have you done your Have you done your first two? Yeah. We, we talked about um, the things they carried and the pursuit of God. Oh, I'm sorry. And, so, and then you, I, we talked yeah, about yeah, right. uh, 1984. No, no. no. Aragon. 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 And lectures. Yeah. So number uh, three. The third one, and if I had, if I was a betting man, which I'm not endorsing gambling in the slightest, but if I was, I would put my money that this is probably the most influential book so far in my life, and that is The Religious Affections by Jonathan Edwards. Um, It blew my mind in a way that I don't think any book ever has. Uh, It came at a really rough point in my life where I was questioning the assurance of my salvation and trying to discern if what I was seeing in my life was legitimate fruit or was uh, a hypocritical fruit that a, a moralist could have. Because if you take someone with like a, a good nature, someone who's naturally nice to people, and then they profess Christ, how do you know what you're seeing is the fruit of kindness or if they're just being nice? You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So uh, it, was, it was fantastic. It was incredibly painful to read. Um, and it pushed me inward to do a lot of unnecessary introspection and self-examination to pouring over, you know, my mind and what I've been thinking, what I've been feeling, you know, taking every emotion and analyzing it with a microscope, seeing, does this have grace in it? Like, is this proof that I'm regenerate? Um, and so it, it really almost it drove me to insanity is a bit of a stretch, but it did make me it was just, pretty close. It was pretty close. Yeah. It was, it was a rough time for a long time. And that's a lot of negative things to say, but that's just because I wasn't ready to handle it. And because I didn't know how to take the truth that he was laying down and use it with wisdom and discernment. And he says as much in the book. He's like, it doesn't, a Christian who lacks assurance is not going to gain assurance by examining their self. God has never intended for us to gain assurance by examination, but by mortification. And so it's action that the Christian who lacks assurance needs to take. Um, and so we'll, I'll, I'll, pro- I'll return to that later because I have another book that deals with that. But if you haven't read the book, I don't think you've read the book. 
If you haven't, you need to. Um, it is, it is amazing. So that's that's probably number three for me. All right, number three for me um, is a book called Missions in the Old Testament by Walter Kaiser. Okay, legit book. Good stuff. It's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, it's in a the good title. title. Yeah. Um, but kind of the premise of the book is just that missions are everywhere in the Old Testament. We see God's heart for the nations in the Old Testament just sure as do. much as we do the New Testament. And so, um, you know, I think about like the like the Abrahamic covenant that God's blessing was like to Abraham was going to bless the entire world. Yeah. He looks at stuff like that throughout the Old Testament. And what what it did for me and why it was so influential is it opened my eyes to see how God was not he didn't just focus on the Israelites in the Old Testament. No, he did not. He was using the Israelites ultimately they were going to bless the nations. Mm-hmm. Um and so, you know, I think in the Old Testament we think that God just didn't care about other peoples. But the the God who's the same God who told us to go to the nations is the same God who called the Israelites out. And so I think for for me, what the missions in the Old Testament did was just show me that missions are in the Old Testament, obviously. It's in the name of the book. That's true. But it kind of helped me be able to read the Old Testament from a New Testament Christian's perspective of what God has called us to do to go to the nations. And so, you know, I think most modern books about missions— are always from the New Testament. <laughs> that's probably true. Yeah, that's probably And it's not because, I mean, the coffee cup verses of Acts 1 8 and Matthew 28, 18 through 20, they're all in the New Testament. They are in the New Testament. But Walter Kaiser takes an Old Testament approach to our call to missions. And so it's, I mean, it is a great, great little book um, that really helped me. You know, one thing I was thinking about actually just now, our taste in books is so different, not only in genre, but in length. Okay, because that's I, true. Because I can't stand long books. Because <laughs> I think they could have been shorter. All the books I've said like so far have been under two hundred pages, and all the books you've said have been over two hundred pages. Most of them have been over four hundred. Anyways, all right. What's number four? Uh, number four is the only one on my list that is under four hundred pages, and it's actually it's probably under two hundred. Let me check. Yes, it is. Um, it's. I'll read the title. Depression, Anxiety, and the Christian Life, Practical Wisdom from Richard Baxter. So what this is, it's Richard Baxter was a Puritan pastor in the 1600s. Have you read the Reformed Pastor? Uh, I own it, and I've read the first couple chapters. Very good. It's good. It's very good. Um, Baxter kind of had some weird theological beliefs, but he was a solid pastor. Mm -hmm. Basically, his specialty, he was the only pastor in the town of Kidderminster, which was which had a population of 2,000 people, and he spent much of his time caring and tending to depressed individuals. <clears throat> and so from his practical experience of dealing with them all the time and his knowledge of the scriptures, he wrote about depression and anxiety uh, for Christians, how it manifests itself, what root causes of it can be, and how to how do you deal with that? Like, what do you do? And... There's an introduction from J.I. Packer, which is really good. I like J.I. Packer. Packer's good. Packer does some good stuff. Have you read Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God? I have not. That's a, that's a notable mention. Okay. Honorable mention from Fisher? Yes. Okay. J.I. Good one. Packer. Good. I like Packer. Um, and then it, the... So Packer sort of collected some of Baxter's writings on the subject. And then the book was revised and annotated by this guy named Michael Lundy, who is a physician. And so... It was really cool, and it came 
to return to what I was saying earlier about religious affections, pushed me inward um, for probably about a year or so. I was very uh, anxious and very depressed, and I was looking inward for peace, mm -hmm. like trying to find evidences of regeneration, because if there's that, then I know the Holy Spirit was dwelling in me, which means I had true faith in Christ. The problem is peace can't be found by looking inward. It's only found by looking to Christ mm -hmm. and looking to the freeness of his of the offer of the gospel and how none of it depends on me and how the work has been finished by him and how he is not only able to save me, but he's willing to save me. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of what Baxter showed me was what I needed to do was turn my focus off of myself, look to Christ, um, and know him more and see how merciful and how gracious he is. And so it was, when I was reading it, I read it about a year ago, it was like drinking medicine. Like I could feel it, feel it like working on my soul as I was reading it. I think that's like that characteristic of a book is how you know it's being really influential yes. in your life. Because like yes. some books, like I read for school, I'm like, yeah, this is cool information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. I wouldn't say the New Testament survey book I'm reading is like drink like drinking medicine. Right. Like it's good. It's good. Like it's good information. Sure. And it's super helpful. And it's but true. And when I think of like how you just described that book versus, and then also like the pursuit of God. Yes. And you think about, man, yes. this is, you can feel it. Like the Lord is using the words of this other person to change you. You, you are being molded while you're reading it. Yeah. It's yeah. a really cool experience. All right. So my next one, um, this is my fourth, fourth. one. Yeah. Fourth. Uh, the pastor's handbook. Very practical. Book. Yes. And so, this is actually, this one's the longest one on it my is, list. It is your longest But one. it's got like 200 chapters and they're all really short. <laughs> and so here's why I like this book. I think like I keep it on my desk in my office at church um, and reference it all the time. Okay. And so it goes, um, this book covers things like preaching. It covers things like integrity. It covers things like leadership. Call to ministry. Yeah, call to ministry. I mean, this is really kind of like, this is a bold claim. But it's, it's close to like a one-stop shop if you need like quick advice on something in the church. That's fair. And so um, if you have a quick question about how to counsel someone through depression, that's in there. If you have a quick question about um, how, how many to, parking spaces to have in your church, that's in there. How to run a deacon's meeting. How to run a deacon's meeting. I mean, all kinds of stuff. How to equip people for ministry. Right. Those, I mean, you're not going to find chapters upon chapters about a certain topic, but it's just meant to be a quick reference book. And so this is part of the reading plan for the residency program it at is. our church. Um, and so I had to read this book before I was ordained. And it was just a fun read. It makes you think about some stuff that you might not have thought about before. Like, I mean, buildings. Like, how? what does that even look like? It's just really practical stuff. And so it's not the most, like... It's, I wouldn't lump it in the same category as like a religious affections or a That's, pursuit of God right. or something. But when we talk about books that are influential and have right. molded us and helped us, that's definitely one that I use a lot. Um, it's very helpful. So I would suggest it to anyone going into ministry. Only you would be excited about a book that spends a chapter talking about parking lot ministry. Listen, people, <laughs> people got to park their cars. Okay. They do. It's important. It's important. It is important. All right. What's your last one? My last one. So my last one is one that I have not finished. Um, and it is called The Death of Death in the Death of Christ, and it's by John Owen, and the book itself is a headache to read. He's because tough. He's really I've tough. I've got him on my Kindle. He's I'm really halfway tough. through the mortification. There's the introduction by J.I. Packer, which is what I'm going to talk about in a second, describes his uh, lumbering literary gait, 
somewhat akin to that of an elephant, um, which is highly accurate. Yes. It's plodding and methodical and cumbersome, but also very weighty and very powerful. So it's, it's a tough read, but what The Death of Death did is I'm already pretty reformed, and when I picked this up, I don't even remember when I started reading it, six months ago, eight months ago, when I picked it up, it just solidified me in the reformed way of thinking, as specifically in regards to the limited atonement, which a lot of people view as, you know, the doctrines of grace are already somewhat controversial. Yeah. And for those that are familiar, none really more so than limited atonement. But what it showed me was everyone limits the atonement. If you don't limit the atonement, you're, you're a universalist. You're universalist. Yeah. yeah, which is a heresy. And so you either limit the atonement in its intended scope, who it was meant for, or you limit it in terms of efficacy. Mm-hmm. Which, And if you limit it in terms of efficacy, that means that Christ wanted to save someone and died for them and shed his blood for them, but then failed in his purpose of saving them. And I was like, ooh, that's not good. But where on the other hand, when you understand limited in terms of scope, you see that Christ didn't purchase the possibility of salvation. He actually purchased salvation for you, for individuals, including the graces that go along with that, such as faith and repentance. And that was that was amazing. And the introduction by J.I. Packer was, it's like a 25 or 30 page introductory essay. Um, and he just says, he says some really, really solid um things about the Reformed way of thinking mm-hmm. that solidified um, that I believe it's biblical. So That's cool. I like John Owen. I quote him probably more than any other person in preaching. He's that, good. That one phrase, be killing sin or sin will be killing you, yes. is is awesome. Yeah. And so true. So I like him. From mortification. So. Yeah. From more, it's not from that book. No, it's from it's mortification. Not. Yeah, he wrote a lot. He wrote a whole lot. He did. Um, so my last one, and the last one for our list, is... Every Man's Battle um, by Stephen Arterburn and Fred Stoker. So this is a book um, completely about sexual purity. And the reason I put this on the list is because I haven't. this is the book I have given people the most. Okay. Um, and that's because, besides the Bible. Right. That's taken off the table for this conversation. We, we know obviously. Alex. We know okay. Alex. Yeah. But um, we live in a culture that I think is really representative of even something as bad as the First Corinthians culture. Yeah, Just completely absolutely. engrossed mm-hmm. in sexuality um, and immorality. It's ridiculous. We're drenched in it. I mean, it's easier now to watch pornography than it is to get a glass of water. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the struggles with pornography that people have is just rampant. And so, obviously, since I'm a man, um, this is a book that is really helpful for people struggling with sexual purity. And so I pass it out all the time. Um, And so pretty much what they do in the book is they just go through their own personal struggles that they've had with purity um, and how ultimately living in sexual morality only brought more brokenness into their life, Um, which is what we see all throughout the Bible and even examples of it in our world today of going outside of God's boundaries for sex leads to brokenness. Mm -hmm. And so the book goes through that for like quite a while and then he gives some like practical things of how can you actually fight this in your life? How can you actively fight against immorality? Um, and so one example um, he has is uh, this idea of a sumo wrestler. 
And so, he, okay. all right, just track with <laughs> okay. me for a second. Um, and so this might actually, there, there's two versions of this book. One is Every Man's Battle, which I've read. And then the other one is Every Young Man's Battle, which is like a, a version for like teenagers. Gotcha. And like, it's, it's more geared towards single men. And I've read that one too. So I think this might be in that one. I can't remember if it's in the married man version. But anyway, so the sumo wrestler, um, what it is is he says, okay, fighting against immorality is like trying to fight against a sumo wrestler. If you keep feeding a sumo wrestler over and over and over again, he's going to be harder to take down. And so the same thing is true for when we struggle with purity. If we feed the monster of sexual immorality in our lives, it's harder to fight against it. So if you're watching shows that are openly, like, support immorality, Mm. if you're looking at things that are ungodly, Mm. if you are thinking about things that are ungodly, those are things that feed the monster. Mm. And so when it comes to you struggling with purity, it's harder to fight because of how much you fed the monster inside of you. So what he advocates for is starving the sumo wrestler. And so as soon as you replace the unholy actions with holy actions that God has commanded us to do, like reading the Bible, praying, fasting, corporate worship, personal worship, etc., those things, you're starving the sumo wrestler and it gets easier and easier to take down the sexual immorality in your life. And so it's really helpful because I think a lot of guys, they just kind of white knuckle it yeah. and hope it gets better, but don't really change anything about how what they're doing in their yeah. life. Yeah, that's that, a problem. That doesn't really work. No, it does not. And so this book kind of gives, I think, some some helpful tips for guys to not struggle with that anymore and also talks about the seriousness of this issue. I mean, it's it's a sin, and it's a it sin is. that is completely affects your life. Um, I mean, it's like 1 Corinthians 6. It's not just a sin against other people, but you're sinning against yourself Yes. in sexual immorality. It's a huge deal. Yes. Um, and so I think this book really helps kind of cover that. Very cool. So, but yeah, so you want some honorable mentions real quick? Yes, hit me with them because I've got a I've got a couple I think. Okay, okay. So I actually listed a bunch here. Okay. So I'm just gonna <laughs> rattle them off real quick. Uh, Supremacy of God and Preaching by John Piper. Johnny Pipes. He's the man. Uh, what is the Mission of the Church by Greg Gilbert and Kevin DeYoung? If you want a good book on social justice, this is where I need to go. Okay. Um, preaching Bold Assurance uh, by Decker and York. It's a good preaching book. Um, now this is this is a book I need to uh, dis- <laughs> put a disclaimer on. This is this is a book I read in college, and I was an English major in an extremely liberal department. And so this because it's the English major. It's the English major, yeah. yeah. And so this is a book I would not suggest um, to kids. <laughs> you but can say that. It's called Americana by. Um, let's see if I can get her name right. Chimamanda Gozi Adichie. Anyways, it's about this Nigerian lady who is an immigrant to America. And kind of what this book did for me is kind of opened my eyes to some of the difficulties that immigrants have in our country mm-hmm. and maybe kind of made me feel for them a little bit more because I felt like I understood That's some of their really challenges. thought about a whole lot. No, but it's really – and it's a good yeah. book too, but there is some things in there that, that are not very good. Right. Um, but just keep that in mind. Moving on. Definitely not a PG book. Um, 20 Basic Christian Beliefs Everyone Should Know by Wayne Grudem. Excellent read. It's a kind of a it's a very condensed systematic theology. I think this title is pretty self explanatory. Yes, it's basic. Yeah, but and it's great. It. It's great for discipleship. It's great for teaching people because um, it's. I mean, it's just really concise. It's easy to get through. Um, and then the last one is getting to the message by Dan Doriani. It's a book about how to teach different genres in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So very helpful if you want to go into ministry because obviously you're going to be teaching. Right. My honorable mentions, and this is. Nowhere near as thought out or put together as yours, which I feel like is typical. But but um, you read much older and bigger books. I, I so do. I do. We're even. Um, I'm going to list an old but not big book, "Thoughts for Young Men." Oh by, my gosh! By J. C. So Ryle. That's a good one. Um, that's that was probably the first good 
Christian work I ever came across. And my mom bought it for me when I was a junior in high school. And I didn't care anything for it. Because um, you were a junior in high school. Because I was a junior in high school. But a couple years later, I came back and read it. And it was really good. So that was really good. Um, Holiness, also by J.C. Ryle. Yeah. A fantastic read. Um, it's systematic. The first seven chapters alone, you don't even need to read the whole book. The first seven chapters deal with the nature of sin, the sanctification, growing in grace, the Christian's watch and how the Christian life is a struggle, uh, attaining assurance. Very, very important stuff. Um, and then honorable mention, probably the favorite biography I've read so far is Confessions by St. Augustine. I haven't read that. I want to so bad. It's good. It's really good. Um, that one was good because... Obviously, it's a classic from one of the most influential theologians of all time. Mm-hmm. But it showed me that biographies are a fun read. Like, it was it was a very gripping and very <coughs> personal story about a man who spent 30 years of his life being lost mm-hmm. and then came to know the Lord and went on to do great things. So those, those are probably my honorable mentions. That's legit. So I guess I think the best way probably to end this would just say, like, we would encourage... Obviously, the listeners to read. You should read. Yeah. You should read. It's ten out of ten. Would recommend and read good books. Like if yes. unless you like love reading and you're going to read all the time, pick. Like we'll have the list of the ones we just mentioned in the show notes here, but make sure and even if you read do read a books. lot, read good books. Well, yeah, because there's a lot of good books. There is a lot of good books. Mm-hmm. I think my piece of advice would be: don't worry about reading fast Mm -hmm. read well yeah read for retention don't read for speed i can't tell you how many books i've sped through and finished and then i was like i didn't learn anything and i don't remember half of what i read yeah so it's better to read slowly and meditatively what are some just real quick what are some practices while you read that you do that with just curious because i have my own but i'm curious what you do um i enjoy reading in coffee shops actually um if it's not like super intense and I'm going to be reading for a long time. I want some sort of social interaction mm-hmm. just so I don't go crazy. Um, get a cup of coffee. Maybe put some instrumental music on to like block out the noise. Um, but I want to read and talk about what I've read mm-hmm. and share it with people. Because reading is a highly social activity. It's essentially you having a conversation with an author. Yeah. Um, it's, it's one of the most personal things there is, in my opinion. And in turn, if I like it, I want to share that with other people. So I enjoy I also like coffee. So that's kind of like a two-for-one. Do you have a way that you read for retention, like different practices you do to read for Yes. Retain it? Um, honestly, external processing, what I just said, is big. Mm-hmm. If I read something in the... Which is probably why you like reading in coffee shops. It is. You run, at Poets, you run into I run people, in, people all the time. If I can read something and then teach it to somebody, the retention rate skyrockets. Because mm-hmm. uh, I have to understand what I'm telling you. Yeah. And if I've understood the idea, that means it's probably sunk in pretty good. I also journal pretty extensively, yeah. not so much when reading, but I'll write out uh, maybe a summary of a chapter or a quote that I thought encapsulates an author's argument really well. I also take pictures, actually. I started an album on my iPhone of excerpts from books that I really like. So I'll just I'll circle something and then take a picture of it so I've got it. That's a really good idea. Mm-hmm. What I do is I always, always make sure I read with a pen, first off. Yes, yes. Use and a pen. Mark your book up. Yeah. I mean... You know, like when you're a kid and you get books from the library and they're like, don't mark anything in here. That's a lie. That's a lie. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's mark why I never book read up. books anymore. Like I just buy them and then I mark it up. And like some books are more marked up than others. Sure. Like, you know, if I'm really into the reading, I might not mark it up as much as I'm so engrossed in what mm-hmm. I'm, but especially when I'm like starting to read a book, I mark it up a lot and it just makes me kind of, it forces me to think a little bit. Another thing I do is 
similar to you, I always read with a journal next to me. Yeah. And so I'll like write on the sheet of paper, you know, like Christ Center preaching chapter four. Right. And then things that I think are important or add to his argument or something, I'll just like write down a abbreviated like quote. You don't need to be super serious about it. Right. It's just something that helps me focus because right. I think a lot of times I I zone out a lot when I'm yeah. reading. And so if I don't actively do something that forces me to engage with the mm-hmm. author, I'll, I'll be like exactly what you said. I'll read fast. Yeah. I'll get done really quick, but I'm not going to remember anything I just yeah. read. So that defeats the whole purpose. Yeah. Yeah. So read books and uh, we'll do catch it. you later. Do it. Do it.